Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I get to do this with my very gorgeous and beautiful bride, Dr. Anna Rebecca Morgan. Yay. It's a new experience. New experience. <laughs> We're going to be with you for the next couple of weeks together as we go through this series, Heart Matters, talking about all things relationships, how we, how we live together in our homes as uh, Christian families. And so we're, we're so glad to be with you up here together. This is going to be fun. Our story began 17 years ago, and we got set up on a blind date. Uh, Kent Muncy, who pastors in Chicago, is a good friend, and Anna was in Sydney uh, with their church at the Hillsong Conference, and I was in Sydney uh, with our church uh, in, at the Hillsong Conference, and uh, we were hanging out down in Sydney. Yeah, sort of. So his birthday always happens to like fall that week of this conference. And um, so we decided, okay, it's like day five of the conference. We're going to just skip out on that night, that session and go downtown and celebrate his birthday. We were done. We were done with the sessions. (laughs) I was done on the Tuesday, but I hung in. Right. Yeah. So anyways, we go down, we go downtown and I get down there and realize it's literally just the three of us. It's me and John, who I knew, um, we were sort of acquainted, but not really like good friends, and Kent, who's like my brother. And uh, so we get down there, and it's literally like five minutes. We're at Sydney Harbor. It's beautiful. We get down there, and, and Kent's like, it's his birthday, and he's like, this is his birthday party. He's like, I'm really tired. You know what? I'm just going to go back to the hotel, but you guys should just go have a good time. It's at five o'clock at night. <laughs> yes. So we went out on Sydney Harbor on this boat. I took her on a harbor cruise. You did. It was very romantic. Yes. And uh, she was a part of a large church. Anna was on team at a church of about 15,000 people. And I was in a large church in Seattle, about 8,000 people. And when you're in a mega church like that, you're in a goldfish bowl. You can't can't move without somebody noticing. And I was sort of interested in Anna. I, I wasn't sure if she was interested in me. Uh, simply because she was sending me no signals, zero, not one, not even a bone, nothing, no signals at all that she was interested. So I had no idea. I was totally in the dark. But, uh, but I could never find out because we're in these large churches and whatever event we went to, you know, I remember being at one conference, I just turned, she wasn't even at my table, she was at another table, and I just turned and said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And then, like, somebody come up, I can't believe you were hitting on Anna like that. I was like, bro, I just... Say hello. Like it was, so we were in Sydney where no one knew us. And uh, this was my opportunity if I was ever going to make a move. You swooped, babe. What's that? You swooped. I swooped. Yes. I, I literally, when I found out she was interested, I literally did the, oh, I'm tired like Kent, and put my arm around her. Very, yeah. It's like that. Hey, it worked. It's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> and then 17 years later. 18 years later. 18 years later, here we are, yeah. which is great. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're taking a lot of our thoughts from. We're going to focus on one verse today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
We want to talk about relationships today. Our message series is called Heart Matters. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you today. We thank you for your presence, your presence that has been so evidently felt in this house. And God, our hearts are open. We're ready to receive your word. And God, we pray that as we hear it, that you would change us, that you would transform us from the inside out, God. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If I talk about relationships, we want to go back to where it all began in the book of Genesis. And we find that in Genesis, God creates man, creates Adam. And he's in this zone where he's creating stuff. And pretty much everything he creates, he's like happy with. Like he creates planets, just like, let there be light. And then there's light and he's like, that's good. And then he's just, you know, valleys and mountains. He's just creating stuff. Everything he's just speaking into being. He likes it. He creates it. Creates man. And then has man tilling the garden. And he has daily communion with, with, with man. And at that point, God has a monopoly on Adam. You, you may hear people say, well, I don't need anybody else in my life. It's just me and God. That's all I need. Well, God had a monopoly like that with Adam and God looked at that monopoly and God said, that's not good. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will create a help me for him community and relationship and marriage and partnership uh, is a creation from God because it's not good. We are not good on our own. So in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, the man said, this is... this." At last is bone of my bone. I like this at last. Thank the Lord, he's saying. Is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, this goes back into the verse that we were just reading out of Ephesians. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the very, very first marriage in the Bible culminated with this principle in play. The two, two individuals shall become one flesh. God created family. God created community. God created uh, relationships for us because we are better in community. We are better in relationship. We are better uh, with other people. So man moved from not good to great in one move of God of creating Eve for him. And there are four benefits that come out of relationships, quality relationships. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12 says, two are better than one. Everyone say better. better. Two are better than one because they get a good reward for their toll. So the first thing that's promised to us is success, that you are going to be better in relationship than you are on your own because the other person is bringing their gifts they're bringing their talents, they're bringing their uh, abilities, they're bringing their strengths, they're bringing themselves into that relationship. And I've got to say to you, after 17 years of marriage, that I am definitely a better person than I was before I was married to Anna, that she has enriched my life, she's made my life better. I, I am, I think, more successful in me, not just in what I'm doing in life, but I'm more successful in just me as John Morgan as a person. Then the scripture says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no other to lift him up. And so the second thing that's promised is support. 
That when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a difficulty, when challenges come, how many of you know, you don't have to get too far for a challenge? How many people are in a challenge right now? So you know what I'm talking about. And so when you're, when you're walking through tough times, doing that alone is very, very painful. That's why God created community. He created a relationship. He created marriage. He created the church. So we would have support when we walk through the hard things. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? There's a great scripture for single people. If you want to use a pickup line and use the word of God at the same time. <laughs> but this offers security. This is talking about security, that, that you don't have to be uh, 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 alone, that, that loneliness is not a great place. I think anybody that's ever felt lonely, uh, I, I, I've walked through moments in my life where I felt incredibly lonely. And I'm like, I do not enjoy this. Why? Because God's created us for community. He's created us for family, created us for marriage, created us for, for church. And then it goes on, and though a man may prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so here God promises strength in relationship. Now, if we were to take one of these cords or an electric cord unplugged, obviously, and cut it in half. Don't cut it in half when it's plugged. Never good. And if you want, unless you want to frizz your hair up. But if you open one of those cords up, you'll find that the strands aren't laying down independently. They are woven together. And so when you pull on that rope or you pull on that, that cord, you'll find that each part of the strand gives strength to the other. That's what God wants to happen in relationships is that we are giving strength to our friend or our partner or our spouse, uh, the people that we're in relationship with, and that they're giving uh, strength back to us. So these are the things that God promises us in community and in relationship. We become stronger than the sum of our parts. We become more than just the sum of our parts when we're all together in that way. So today, no matter where you are on the relationship journey, whether you have never been married or you're thinking about getting married, married now, been married, we want to unlock some biblical blessing today for you and give some just practical tools, practical advice on engaging healthy relationships together. So let me read this one more time where Paul quotes from Genesis in Ephesians 5.31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we're going to dig deep into this verse in the next couple of weeks and look at these three components of what that means. We're going to look at leaving, holding fast, and becoming one. So the first one is leaving. And this is an important principle. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, says, uh, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so Abraham is told to go and he's told to do three things. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. And I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your country. You're going to have to depart that national culture that you've been a part of. I want you to leave your kindred. 
and that's your family culture, the, the culture that you've grown up in as a child and now you're in maturity and then leave your father's house, that's your life culture. That's the life uh, that you've developed in. Your, these are things like, you know, your spiritual habits, your financial habits, the things that you, your, your lifestyle habits are all there. And so God says there needs to be a leaving if you're going to become a great nation, which happens through family, count the stars, this is family, this is descendants. If, you, if, if greatness is going to come out of you, then there needs to be a departure. That's why the Bible says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. There is a departure. Now, anytime that you leave uh, and, and go to building a strong relationship, you need to prepare for the departure. Tonight, Anna and I are flying to, to Ghana for the next few days. We'll be back. We'll be back next Sunday. Yeah, praise God. And um, so hopefully I picked the right airport that we're landing in. We, we, we came in last night from Los Angeles and I thought we were landing in DCA. That's where we left our car. And at DCA, we got on the plane at DCA, flew to Los Angeles, left our car there. And then last night at midnight, we got back in. And as I was boarding a plane in Denver, I looked up at the screen and realized we were landing in Dulles. <laughs> totally different airport. And oops. So I think we've got Accra. I think I've, I've, I've checked that out multiple times. But we're, we're, but we're leaving, we're leaving today. So when you, when you depart, there are things like you've got you to pack the essential items. These are things that you have to take with you uh, because they are important. And so we've packed essential items on this trip to Ghana. Apparently, some of those essential items are things like uh, mosquito repellent, um, bug spray, emodium. You can't believe how many emails we've had from people just, hey, we just, we're praying for you on your trip to Ghana. Please take emodium. Something that, go to Ghana, they said. It'll be fun, they said. But they never, they never said that we had to go with things like yellow fever vaccines and typhoid vaccines and things like that. That was just some things that we've got to take with us. Uh, obviously, we've got to take our passport, got to get a visa to get into Ghana. You've got to fault multiple stacks of paperwork that needs to be filled out. These are the essentials. We're not, we're not going to be able to go there without doing these things. And then there's the non-essentials. These are the things that you could take, but if you do take then they're just excess baggage. They are things that you absolutely don't need. I'm not going to need my own towel. I'm not going to need uh, a map of France. I'm not going to need a fur coat. There's certain things that you could take with you, but they are just not valuable. And so that's the same when we enter into a relationship. There are the essentials and then there are the non-essentials. The essentials are things like, what do I have to take with me? What, what, what can't I avoid? What am I going to take into the relationship that is going to add strength? What are the strengths of my culture? What are the strengths of my family? What are the strengths of my personal life? What, what can I bring in that can add value so the two can be better than one? But then i got to consider the non-essentials. What, what are the things that I definitely should leave behind? What are the things in uh, my culture, my national culture, that I should, you know, okay, it's there, but I probably should focus on renewing my mind and being better than my culture. What are, what are the things that I've grown up with in my family that are, you know, probably a part of my natural culture, but are not going to be healthy 
to this new relationship? What have I got to leave behind with my family? What have I got to do in my own personal life, spiritually or uh, in my lifestyle or my finances? What things do I consider that I've got to say, you know what, these things really need to change? Now, heart matters because matters of the heart matter. You are who you are on the inside. And we, we attend, uh, we um, are likely uh, to be attracted to somebody first by their looks. And I remember somebody, you know, that, that when I was dating Anna, they were like, you know, we, we think there's an alternative motive, you know, for you dating Anna. And they, they dropped the, the motive, which was weird. And then I said to them, have you checked her out? She's beautiful. Like that's, that was the, that was the, before I knew her, that was the attraction that this woman is a very, very beautiful woman. And so there's that, there's that physical attraction. And so you sort of marry the physical attraction, uh, but it's more than that. It's who they are on the inside. If you just marry the attraction, then you, you're going to wake up beside somebody on your honeymoon morning that, and then as you get together, longer you go, you change. We all change. As we get older, we look different as you get older than you were when you're young. So you, you're marrying the heart of the person. That, that's what you're getting. And we, we should understand that. When Samuel went to anoint at Jesse's house, and he rocks up at Jesse's house, and Jesse brings out the sons to be anointed as the next king. First guy comes out, he takes one look at him. He's tall, he's strong, he looks like he's got it all together. And in his mind, there's an attraction to anoint him to be the leader. And then he go, God says, no, don't, don't look at the outward appearance. It's going to mess you up. You've got to look at the heart. It's the heart of the matter. And that's what we need to do. We need to go beyond. Physical attraction is important. I, I, I always tell people, listen, if you're not attracted to her, don't marry her. Life is going to be hell. You, you need that physical attraction. But, but it's more than that. It's not just that. It's a part of who you are on the inside. It's not just even the heart matters because you're not just marrying an individual. You're marrying their whole world. And I think something we don't realize a lot of times when you get married young is that's the case. If you're, if you're thinking about getting married for the first time, premarital counseling is so important because it can help you navigate some of those things that you don't realize are potentially going to be challenges along the way or things that maybe you need to let go of and leave behind um, because you're marrying someone's whole world. You're marrying everything about them. And having those conversations right up front is a really smart thing to do. I think especially if you're thinking about getting married for a second time, there are things, even more complications. The older you get, the more, the more baggage, the more stuff you have that you're going to need to talk through, you're going to need to navigate through. And then even when you get married, there's things you don't even realize are going to be a, a thing. They just sort of arrive they just, out of the blue. They just show up. And you've got Where'd to, that come from? Right. You've got, to, you've got to figure those things out as you go. Things what that were we hiding in the background of your life. Right. And there's going to be things that are like, oh, this was a great bonus. I didn't realize this was going to be the case. Let's keep this. But then there's going to be other things that are non-essential that we're like, okay, maybe we'll leave those She found a lot of those behind. Just saying. <laughs> 
So in Genesis, God's promise to Abraham is, I want you to go out. I, I, I want to expand your life, but you're going to leave, got to leave some things. I need you to leave your country. I need you to leave your national culture. I need you to leave your uh, kindred. I need you to leave your family culture. And then I need you to leave your father's house, your life culture. And as you leave, uh, you have to make that decision together of, okay, in our life, what are the essential things that we're going to take on the journey? And what are the non-essential things that we should probably, you know, are better leaving behind? And as, as Anna was just saying, that's not just before you get married. That is all the time that you're married, is discovering things that, oh, I didn't, I didn't know I did that, right? Because some of the things that are habitual to you, that you do, that grew up in like your family culture, you just do without even thinking. It's how God created us. Habits make our life easier because you don't have to think about everything you do. So there are just habits that we have in there that things that we're, we're doing uh, without thinking about it. And then when you're with somebody else, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, that's not good. That is something you should probably leave behind. I mean, one of the, the big things, I think, especially in a church like ours, that's going to become something we have to navigate is our national culture. And the thing about culture, most of the time, it's what's so familiar, you're unaware of the dynamics that are impacting you that are cultural. We all have culture. And John and I, we have a cross-cultural marriage. Not as obvious, I think, as some cross-cultural marriages, but ours are. And I I know there's some of you here who have cross-cultural marriages or even just cross-cultural relationships in this house. I think you can't belong to Word of Life without engaging in a cross-cultural relationship of some sort here. But different cultures have different value systems. So things like how you communicate. Some cultures are way more direct. They're going to just tell you exactly like it is. And some cultures are what's called high-context cultures. So it's like we're going to be a lot more indirect. You need to be able to read body language. You need to be able to read the room and all the dynamics that are going on. So when those two people get married, it's it can be highly offensive when the direct person just goes in on somebody or or the direct person may have no clue what's going on and when the indirect person thinks they're being clear and the direct person is like, I have no idea I just totally missed that. I don't know why you're mad right now because you didn't you didn't tell me. And they're like, I, I I'm sure I did. Who, so who's the direct person in our relationship <laughs> who never has a clue what's happening? <laughs> I've got the discernment of a rock. Anyway. Some of the other things that are cultural are how you think about the future. So some cultures are focused on like right now and what are we going to do in the next week? And that's what occupies a lot of their time and their planning. Some are way more future oriented. So how you think about that is going to affect how you plan your finances, how you plan your careers, how you plan your education. All of those things are going to be impacted by that. How you think about male, female roles. That's a big one that that varies from culture to culture. And that's something you gotta, you have to consider how you're connected to your extended family. Like, how in your extended family are you? And that's, that's something that's impacted by national culture, celebrating holidays. That's, you know, obviously if you have different holidays to celebrate, that's going to impact it. So you got to think about what are the essentials? And this is stuff, it's baked into us from birth. It's, it is buried in our souls from our families where we grew up. And there are things are, that are great that our partner needs to embrace, right? So there's components of that. Australia and America are similar, but they're different. In, in pretty different. significant ways. So 
I remember my first trip to Australia when we were dating. I went to go meet his parents, and he'd given me, like, all these stories about what to expect. He's like, listen, my mom's on a walker, so be really gentle with her. And um, we live way out in the boonies. There's no running water, so there's an outhouse in the back. And just be careful if you've got to go out there at night because there's giant snakes and toads that you have to dodge. Just check the toilet seat before you sit down. He's, like, prepping me. I'm like, oh, Okay, all right. And I'm a little nervous about it. I get off the plane. Lo and behold, his mother's definitely not on a walker. And I was like... She could have been. How much of the rest of this was just absolutely untrue? Turns out, yeah, there's no outhouse. The, the, it's yeah. just like a normal house. In the city. <laughs> it's like in the city. And so then, you know, like me, meeting his, fr- his like parents' friends, and uh, we sat down around the dinner time dinner table to pray and his dear friend pat uh pat mcauliffe pat's probably in her 80s yeah yeah. pat mcauliffe i have never called her pat i call her on the head um is my pet name for her pat on the head and uh and i think i've called her that forever she loves it well we we're sitting around the table to like eat and it's like pat would you pray for for the meal and she goes like dear jesus and then uh thank you so much for this food and then i'm like it's pat lord and he's, he's, like, commentating on her prayer, like, making sure that God understands. And she's, like, she's just giggling. And she's, like, God, we just thank you so much for your provision for Pat this Nicole food. Pat McCall, Lord, it's Pat. God, we just pray you would bless it. Yeah, I know you haven't heard it for a long time. our bodies. <laughs> and I'm, like. She's at my mom's house. She's got to pray today. I literally, I've never experienced anything like this, right? As Americans, we're not, like, super serious, but we're relatively serious. But in Australia, it's, like. Just humor is the coping mechanism for everything. It's, the, more, the more we love you, the more dis- we make fun of you. Right. It's not disrespectful to like make a joke with somebody. They're laughing with you. It's like here's how this is like a, a sign of affection. But that is one of those things that's good to leave behind too. Um, we, we in Australia we call it taking the Mickey out of you, and we'd say the more we love you, the more fun we make of you. And the the basis of that, while it's fun and laugh and it's enjoyable and stuff like that, the basis of that is not healthy, and and that's something that needs to be left behind. Because the basis of taking the Mickey out of you is you, I'm not going to allow you to think you're that great, and I'm going to bring you down to my level. I'm going to level the playing field out. You think you're great. You think you're amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull you down to to my level. That's that's what it's intended to do. And it's it's that's not a that's not a, a good thing because how that plays out in Australia is if someone's incredibly successful, if they're wealthy, they're doing great at sport. We call it the tall poppy syndrome. That we want to chop you down to our size. You think you're that great. You're not that great. And we'll use words or you know different things to be able to pull you down rather than celebrate you. And and that is maybe Australian culture, but it's not God culture. It's not healthy culture. God, God has called us to elevate people and to celebrate people and champion the cause of somebody else's life. And so that's one of those sort of like national Aussie things that I think is incredibly useful to leave behind. It's something, and I think just examining our culture continuously and saying, okay, what needs to be redeemed by the gospel? What needs to be changed and transformed? It's going to be very familiar to us. So a lot of times we don't even recognize it, but we have to look through that lens of what is kingdom culture and how does this fit in? And the things that are great, you know, like the joy and the celebration and the sense of fun, all of that, 
I, embra- I, I needed to embrace that because that's something we needed to keep. And especially after being widowed, I was kind of serious by nature. Probably my personality is kind of serious. So I needed that to kind of lift me up and, and balance me out. But at the same time, there's components of our culture that we got to let go of and say, okay, maybe it needs to be transformed by the gospel. It needs to be transformed by Jesus. And God will take that out of your personality, that, that fun thing. He definitely did that for... I, I'm, here's what I'm convinced. This is what I think happened. So Anna obviously has got her doctorate in missiology from Fuller Theological Seminary, Seminary and her mother has got her uh, doctorate in clinical um, counseling. Is that the word, right word for it? Psychology. psychology. Clinical psychology from Wheaton. She got her doctorate. And then her dad is doing his doctorate in theology from what? Trinity. Trinity. And so these are, her, and her grandparents are brainy. She just lives, her whole family is just brainy. And I think God looked at them and thought, oh my gosh, that poor family. They're really brainy, but they are really boring. And so then, do the. Here I am to save the day. That's right. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. But that's, I mean, that's, that's also a piece of it is you're marrying a whole family. Yeah. When you get married, it's, you're marrying into family culture as well. So when I was 20 and I'm, I got married, I thought I'm marrying a man. I thought I'm marrying an individual and this is the person I'm marrying. But in reality, you get a whole bunch of people that come along with it and a whole bunch of family dynamics that come along with it. And you know what? You don't, you don't realize you're doing this. You cannot like rebuild the house that you grew up in. You, you can't reproduce the people who were in your house when you were a kid. But subconsciously, that's the only experience we've had. So when we try to build a home, we start doing the exact same things that we experienced when we were a kid. And how we parent, how we organize a household, how, how we run things is very influenced by what we grew up in, even if we're intentionally saying, I do not want to do it like that. So when you come in, sometimes if you haven't had these conversations, you have two different people who had two different experiences who are trying to build two different homes, and you don't realize that you have two different visions for what a home a home is like. So when you're thinking about essentials, you got to talk these things through and say, okay, what was great things about my family when I was growing up that I need to keep that I want to make sure that those are those are still part of it. And what are things that maybe we can let go of? You know, the negative things that we don't want in our household. We and as we set a new generation, we start a new legacy. But for us in our family growing up, we had a lot of we did holidays big, especially Christmas. I don't know if it was like my mom because she grew up Jewish and didn't have Christmas. She was like overcompensating. I don't know. But it was like we did everything Christmas. And so I came in with that culture of like when we celebrate, we do birthdays big, we do Christmases big. And um, this was this was a piece of who we were. And we didn't do Christmases big. I, I Growing up with my parents and, you know, Christmas is in summer and it's filthy hot in uh, Australia and Santa has to rock up in board shorts and flip flops, and uh, and so I remember for years, all the time I was at home from maybe fifteen on, we, we would just decorate a plant like a potted plant. We'd stick it, I, we'd stick it on a table. I'd get some tin foil, wrap it around the plant, and we'd throw a present under there. That, that was that was Christmas. Uh, for us now, when I when I got married, I started to develop traditions, and my 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 Christmas tradition, family Christmas tradition, is that I have a new tradition every year. That's sort of my tradition that we don't have any traditions, as we do that traditionally. 
One, one year, when we were f- first married, uh, our tradition, we went down to, like, the, was it the dollar store or somewhere like that? Went to the dollar store. We had to buy another person a gift at the dollar store, but we weren't allowed to use our own names. I don't know why I thought this was entertaining, but I thought it was... So, like, I'd have to yell out to Anna, Beryl! Hey, Beryl! And then we'd have to use different names. But that was our tradition back then. It's not ours now, because we've used it. Just one time. But there, there are essential family dynamics that you have to build, bring. And obviously, for Anna, bringing that into our family has been a blessing to our family. We had to adjust. My, my girls were, grew up in a house where we had a present and you just tore it open and threw paper everywhere and, you know, you could, you could open all the presents in 30 minutes. Anna's family at Christmas, they're a one-present-a-time person. And you've got to take the present, you've got to read the card, you've got to thank the person. The person usually tells you why they bought you the gift, and then you unwrap the gift, and then you ha ah, this is awesome. And, I think and when you're, it took six hours. Six hours. <laughs> six hours. You know how hard that is for the ADHD kid? It's like, it's like I'm, there. five hours, I'm like five Ritalin in to this opening process. And, uh, but it's, it's a blessing because we, it, it's, I know for my for the girls, they it's just so much so much of a more enjoyable time for Christmas. Then, then in my family, they weren't big celebrators of events, but they were really big celebrators of each other. I don't think I ever left the house uh, without telling my mum and dad I love them all my life, and my mum and dad wouldn't leave the house without saying I love you. And and I know we had to, we had to bring that. Anna would leave and she'd be busy doing something, and I hey. You need to say goodbye, and you need to say you love me. This is an important, this is an important thing because this is a value uh, to me, and I think it's an essential in our, in our marriage. I want to make sure that if anything goes wrong, the last thing that you knew about me was that I loved you. I want to, I want to, I want to sew that in there and never have any. And then, you know, then touch is big. My, my, my mom and dad, my, I'm, Right up until they passed, or until my mum went into the home, uh, my mum was in her late 80s, my, my, my dad would sit, uh, my mum would sit on the couch in the living room, and my dad would come in and lie down, put his head on her lap, and she would just squeeze blackheads on his face, or, or scratch his face, or, you know, just bathe his face. And then when my mum went into the home, and my mum had uh, Alzheimer's, and, and she would just sit in a chair, and I have photo, I have video of my dad, he's just in there brushing her hair, you know, he's, he's rubbing lotion into her hands, you know, and they're late in their 80s. And so for me, it's like I, I, I need that. that. That to me is an essential. We've got to have that level of touch in, in our, our, our life. So I eat candy just deliberately to get blackheads uh, so she can squeeze them. TMI, babe. TMI. <laughs> And then there, and then there, then there's some things that, that are in your family dynamics that are that are not good that you bring in. So I I grew up in a home where my mum did everything for me. I was the baby of the family. There's a 10 year gap between my sister and I, and so I pretty much grew up as the baby and the only child. And I was a mummy's boy. My mum loved me. You can't blame her. And. And, and she would do everything for me. I was shocked when I left home to realize, what? The angels don't wash my clothes. 
I thought it was your right to just leave them on the floor right there and angels would swoop in and take them and found out that was my mother. And uh, I think I was still getting my mother to do my laundry in my 50s. We went there on a holiday. Oh, 100%. And yes. uh, I bought a bag of laundry and my mum's like, I'll do that for you. Every time. Every, Every day. time. And that's what should happen. It's a family that's an essential for a son and a mum. Uh, in there, but 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 then uh, so for me, I was married nearly 20 years. Uh, my my first wife had a, had a breakdown, made a decision. I want to be married to you. I don't want to be in ministry. Uh, I don't want to live in America. And she left and and went to New Zealand. Left me with uh, three girls, Sharia, Chloe, and and Brooke. And so I become a single dad. So now my family culture is I'm a single dad. And I'm trying to cope with three daughters, two are early teens and one's uh, just a child. And so uh, trying to navigate that. And so our family culture got a little crazy. Single solo dad, youth guy was a little crazy. Anna, she described uh, our house. What was your description of our house in <laughs> Seattle? I think when I, first time I came in there, it was like sort of frat house meets little girl party. That was sort of how it was. It was yeah. it was organized chaos. It was like, yeah, because he's a youth pastor, and there were teenagers there all the time. So it was like a permanent setup of, like, uh, card games on the table, permanent pool table or ping-pong table set up in the living room. We moved all the furniture and pushed the furniture against the wall so we could fit the ping-pong table in the living room. And then Brooke would, like, ride her a bike around the house. What would Jesus do? It's just crazy. And then we had this, again, I'm, I'm working at the church, got a big, big ministry, so just trying to cope. And so our laundry pattern went something like this. If it was dirty, it was on the floor in the laundry. And so you knew that it had to get washed at some point. If it was clean, it was just stacked on top of the bench in the laundry. And you ironed as you went. It just seemed to be a very efficient way to do things. You just pulled it off and ironed it. And so there was this mountain of laundry, you know, just a huge mountain of laundry on the bench. And then, you know, and so this is not going to... Uh, uh, I don't think I had a blanket on my bed. I think, because I like it hot. I like to sleep. I like the temperature at 73. Just I don't a really mattress. like It was just a mattress. And my youngest daughter, Brooke, uh, she's she like four or five then, uh, she would sleep in my bed every night. And so uh, she couldn't go to sleep without me being there. I don't think I could go to sleep without her being there. This would happen on a regular basis. We'd have like downstairs, there'd be youth leaders and young people and noise and everything is happening. It'd be time for Brooke to go to bed, which was usually a little late. I have to admit, a little late. That yeah, had to change he, when we got married. Yeah, he didn't understand that children had to go to bed early. I thought that went to bed when the party was over. And so, and so I, w I would say to everybody downstairs, hey, listen, I'll be back in a minute. I'm just going to take Brooke. She's, she needs to go to bed. I'm going to put her to sleep and I'll be back down. And so I'd take Brooke up to the bedroom. She'd lie down. I'd cuddle into her. And she is just unbelievably cuddly and awesome. And so I would cuddle in and, and she would go to sleep and inevitably I would just crash out and go to sleep and we'd wake up the next morning and I'd walk downstairs. All the doors are open, music still playing, all the lights are on. People just let themselves out. They didn't close anything down. Uh, they just, and so how many know that's not something you can bring? <laughs> That's, that's, an, uh, that's one of those things that, like, the daughter in the bed with you every night is not going to be great for a healthy marriage. 
And so that needed to be, that was like a thing that we needed to leave behind. Um, uh, and there's all sorts of things. Anna's loves for, love for pillows. Like I didn't have a sheet. I think I had one pillow on my bed. Yeah. Anna has like 30 pillows. But she's not one of these people. Now, to her credit, on the pillows, I'm going to be honest, some people are like the pillows are up there and you go to bed, you throw all the pillows off and you just sleep with two pillows. That is not Anna. There are 30 pillows on the bed. She's sleeping with 29. I've got one. I have one pillow that I'm allowed to have. I'm rationed with a pillow and she has the Great Wall of China yeah. backing her up. But I, I, I like an ordered house. This is just... It's my personality. It's the way I grew up. So obviously we had to do some adjusting when we got married. But not just that, because I was coming into a family, and it had been John and his three girls for a couple of years, just them on their own in in this world. And you know, here I'm now introducing person number five into this family. And so you know, we had to, we had to we we had to do some research. Okay, what's it going to look like to blend a family? And I think. A, when you're blending family, you have to think this is more of a crock pot than a microwave approach. And you got to have your expectations set. That this is going to take a long time. It takes a long time to make um, a household a family in, in these scenarios. And so, and so we did some research and did things like um, we would make rules together, you know, as we were coming up with, okay, what's our household going to be like? How's this going to work? Um, we would, we would plan that together, but when it came to enforcing the rules or the discipline for the rules, that came from John as dad in the household. And, and blending the family, here's a crazy thing. I'd been in ministry for a very long time, and I don't think I'd ever given anybody in church, um, a, a book on, uh, step parenting. To be honest with you, before we got married, I didn't even know they existed. And I get that. Like, we're, we, 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 marriage is great. Divorce is horrible. There's nothing great in divorce. There's nothing great that comes in. It's, it's a horrible thing to walk through. It's painful. It's hurtful. Uh, it, it has its challenges. It's, it's, for, for, it's a pain that never ends. You know, it, you know when, when Rich died, uh, Rich has gone to heaven. My, my first wife is still alive. And so the, the, the pain is, can, can still be there. You have to confront that every now and then. And so, um, and so in church, obviously, and that's what we're talking about today, building a healthy relationship, because we want, we want marriages to last. And we want them to be healthy. They, we want them to be fruitful. And I think, I think sometimes in our uh, desire for that to happen, we avoid... What is, I remember when I first went through my divorce, I said to a friend of mine who'd been divorced, is the church always this brutal on divorced people? Because it was, it was brutal. I didn't realize it. And then when it come to, to blending our family, I didn't even know there was such a book on step parenting. I thought you just got married. But then as you do the research, most second marriages fail. Number one reason, the children. The children become a point of conflict. And so when we, when we blended our family, we read this book by Ron Deal on, I think, a successful step parenting or something like that. And he just gave these things that you need to do. Uh, one of the things, the rules of thumb, is every year that the child is alive, in, and when you come into the marriage, it will take them about that time before they'll accept the other person as a parent. So Brooke was six when we got married. She's going to be 12. Shreya was 16. She'd be 32. And so what happens is they're not saying this is what is exactly going to happen, but these are the parameters that you need to give yourself so you don't get offended if they don't treat you like a mother 
or they don't treat you like a father. You've got to give yourself some parameters. Like, I get this. Let them have some time. Because what will happen in a marriage is I'm, oh, I'm, I'm your dad now. And they're like, you're not the boss of me. You know, you're going to do that sort of thing. And so we, we know that happens. And so it, it frees the parent up. The, the step-parent up, the new parent up, to be able to have some scope to embrace that change in, in family. And, and that book was incredibly helpful for us. And yeah. you know, to, to Anna's credit, she pretty much followed that to the letter. And it's been great. Our family's strong and healthy and a great family. We have three beautiful daughters and great-grandchildren. Yeah, they're wonderful. They made it easy. They are wonderful. Um, so as we're thinking about that, so we leave behind national culture, so, or we, there's things about it that we're going to bring, there's things about it we're going to leave, at, and then there's things about our family culture that we need to bring along, things that we need to leave behind. Um, but then there's also just life things. And I think the number one thing that's so important, it's foundational, is our spiritual life. And so it is an absolute essential to establish what are core values? What are going to be things that are important for our relationship? And so for us, it was Jesus was the center of our life before we were married. And so we knew this is going to be a core for us, valuing prayer, valuing time as a family, um, giving it to Jesus, challenging each other in our faith and our perspectives. And that can be a challenge for you if you're a spiritual person and your spouse is not spiritual. And I know... Uh, in my family, I have somebody who's spiritual and the spouse is not spiritual. And so there's that, that tension, that conflict. And if you're the spiritual person in the house, then you just, you just got to pray. You just got to trust God. You got to believe God. I don't think you can ram your faith down someone's throat. Uh, but you need to display godliness as best as you can to be a person of God, to be a person who celebrates Jesus, to be a person who worships, be faithful in church and, and all those things. And then, you know, just pray over everything. That, that's how I got saved. My mum prayed over everything, prayed over my pillow, prayed over me, prayed over my, my you know, just, you're just going to have to continue to invest that in and believe the best in that, that journey because we've got to be spiritually strong. Yeah. And a ministry call was important for both of us, or just our, our calling as Christians. What has God called us to? And uh, so that was something we had to just navigate because we both were in separate lanes. We were doing separate things in separate cities. And we had to bring our calling together and say, okay, what are we going to be as a couple now? And how are we going to value what God has for each one of us in our future and uh, so there's a surrendering of independence, I think, that comes along with that. It's saying, we're in it together. My thing is not more important than your thing, and your thing is not more important than my thing. But how can we embrace and support each other? Yeah, work together. Yeah. And uh, so then, of course, finances, that's a practical aspect of just living together, how we merge those things. And maybe you need financial help. Get a financial planner, get somebody to help you with finances. If you are not great with finances and your spouse is not, or, you know, get some people to help you navigate those decisions because they're definitely things that impact uh, the, the relationship in a healthy or non-healthy way. How we spend our time. How we spend our time. What do you like doing? And uh, Anna is a planner and I am spontaneous I you know if, if we, when we went to France uh, to Paris before we went she bought like five books on Paris and France and the places that you need to go to she read up knew everything knew the restaurants and I got the ticket <laughs> I got the ticket in the hotel hey we're going oh, there man. we're going to stay in the hotel that's all we need she's got a plan 
And so we've learned how to blend that in. So generally we go out, one day's planned, one day's spontaneous, you know, and we, we alternate like that, bringing again uh, our strengths into the relationship and compromising and working together to be one. But, you know, we have uh, complementary strengths that come in, I think. And um, so in, I think in every marriage, you're working to find those complementary strengths. So Anna brings nice things. <laughs> She's got the eye for detail. People are like, did you pick out those colors? No. Anna picked out those colors. Why? Because she likes nice things. And so you're, you're, when your partner comes, they're going to bring things in that are very different than you. You've got to learn how to celebrate them. That's what makes church great. That's what makes the kingdom of God great. As we all come here on a Sunday morning, we're all so different. We all have different values and different backgrounds. We have one Jesus who brings us together as one family, the church, which is a picture of marriage and is what they're talking about there in the book of Ephesians. And, uh, and we bring in those strengths and we bring in uh, those values. And we bring in our national culture. And in, in a church like ours that's multinational, that, that national culture is a, is a big thing. I'm telling people all the time, listen, if I do something that's offensive to your national culture... You have to understand that as an Australian, I probably have no idea. I have no idea that that is a value to you or those words mean anything to you. And so we're going to navigate that. That's the beauty of this relationship that we have together is we bring our strengths. You know, when we do our International Sunday and all the cultures come down and we've got the, the garden choir singing, the different people singing and doing their things. And we look back at that and we're like, God, this is a great church. This is a beautiful church. This is, this is a picture of the bride of Christ coming to the, to, to the groom that we bring all those things together and you know the things that are bad from our culture that we should leave them behind things that are good in our church culture bring them along bad we should leave them behind generational culture good things bring them along bad things leave them behind there's always if we're going to move forward uh, in life there's always that moment that we have to leave things behind that's just a way that we need to go in our life. I'm going to invite Russell and the team to come up right now and, and, uh, and worship with us. Can you stand together? In the book of Ephesians, because they're talking about the two leaving, becoming one, it's in the context of of the community of God. It's relationships, it's about marriage and hopefully some of these things will help you get maybe just a one aha moment for you and your marriage of like, okay, this is an area I need to work on or this is an area I need to, to, to strengthen. Hopefully uh, today you don't walk out of here with an aha moment. That's what my partner needs to do. Like she needs to do that. He needs to do that. That's, no, no, You're not talking about changing them, talking about changing you. It change you from the inside out. Your heart, your heart matters. So hopefully today you're going to pick up one or two things as we go through this. It'll help you and enrich you in your relationship, make you a better spouse, make you a better future spouse for all you single people that are getting you're single and ready to mingle. You know that 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 God can help you. Uh, those of you uh, that uh, have walked through hurt. 
and through pain in relationships. We're praying next week. We're going to be ministering to you and praying for people and believing God to bring health to brokenness because a whole you is going to be always going to be a better you. And as soon as you enter into a relationship, you're opening yourself up to hurt. You open yourself up to the potential of being hurt. And then what happens is when you get hurt, then you shut down. Your heart gets wounded and broken. And then it's harder for you to engage in relationships around you. Not just uh, in, in with your spouse or your partner, but with other people around you. And so I believe that God wants to help. God wants us to be healthy on the inside. How many people know that God wants us to be healthy on the inside? And a healthy you is always going to be, it's always going to be a better you. It's always going to be a better you.